106 on a Monday afternoon. We've been told for a while, be prepared because it is the start of emergency preparedness week. You've been hearing it on 980 CFPL throughout the day. 155, right? 155. We should be expecting to hear this. Well, that's the one. That's the one. That's the sound. Except, here's what you need to know. If 155 comes by and you don't hear that noise or your phone doesn't buzz whatsoever, don't worry. Don't worry at all. Well, wait a minute. Aren't we supposed to be prepared for an emergency? Isn't this the great big test? Yeah. But they tried it in Quebec earlier today. They were supposed to have it, I think, at 11.55 or 10.55. And the time came, and they heard that. Nothing. Nothing happened. There was an error in the coding. And they've traced this back. If you've ever coded anything, it's not written in English, French, Italian, German. It's written in letters and numbers, and I'm not even sure what they're up to now. C++, what they coded in. They have little spaces here and there. Somebody forgot a space. Oh, forgot a space. And the whole thing didn't happen. So London had one earlier today, but at 1.55 today, we should hear that noise or your phone should buzz in some way. Something should hop up and down in front of you. I don't know. But it will be a test of the emergency preparedness system, which is actually a good thing. We want to know when tornadoes are coming. You want to actually hear that sound? You want your phone to buzz? You look down and go, oh, tornado's coming. We'll do our best to update you. All you have to do is follow us on Twitter, and you can find 980CFPL really easily. Only one space, really, and on Twitter, it's not even there. So very easy to find us. Just look for us, and we'll have updates. But sometimes this is going to be even faster, because as soon as we hear from the emergency preparedness people, that's when we pass it on to you and you can follow us on facebook and we have instagram you can find us on the radio player canada app we also have sunshine in london we also have sunburns on faces at work memories of march and april are fading lawn mowers were just raging this weekend even if the grass didn't quite need to be cut you know i work creatures of habit we just want to pull the cord and hear the rev of those tiny little engines Oh, doesn't that sound good? That is the sound of summer. It was everywhere this weekend. Mohammed Hamoud is on the show today. He is a Londoner who is giving a TEDx talk in the United States. He was selected to do it, and he's going to be talking about Islamophobia. And you're going to hear Mohammed after 2 o'clock, and you will not want to miss what he has to say. Here's actually a little sample as he discusses a real-life situation that he had with his family following the murders of 10 people on Young Street in Toronto and the subsequent arrest of Alec Manassian. We sat at the dinner table looking at each other. What if he is Muslim? We were scared. I was consoling friends on Facebook till about 11 o'clock at night, waiting to hear whether or not the alleged perpetrator was going to be Muslim. Of course, our hearts were with the families, but our hearts are sitting there at the table waiting to find out if he's Muslim What's it going to be like for us tomorrow? My daughter's like, Dad, what's it going to be like for me as a 15-year-old girl going to school being one of the only few with a hijab? I've had it. So I don't have the luxury of walking away from the what if because it just reinvents itself as racism and Islamophobia continues to be part of our community. 
After 2 o'clock, we will hear more from Mohammed Hamoud. He's an incredible man, so that's coming up. BRT is back on the agenda at City Hall, and you know what it's beginning to sound like? It's beginning to sound like the lawnmower that wouldn't start this weekend. Give it a tug. Yeah. It's stalled. You left gas in it from the fall. The gas is no good anymore. You have no idea where to dump the gas out. And then your brain starts trying to rationalize and strategize. Well, if I buy new gas and dump that in with the old gas, maybe that will get it going. Maybe if I pull out the spark plug, clean it, and put it back in. We have no way forward on this. Ward 6 Councillor Phil Squire sums some things up that he's been talking about for a little while this morning on the Craig Needle Show. The Board of Governors is is, in my opinion, not close to uh, making a decision on whether they will allow bus rapid transit through campus and on what terms they'll let bus rapid transit through campus. And that is such a huge piece of what we're doing. And I just can't imagine proceeding to go submit a plan to the government with a huge part of it contingent on an agreement with Western University when we don't know if we'll be reaching an agreement whether the terms will be acceptable to Western and the city, and whether taxpayers will be, uh, will be accepting of it. So that's, uh, that's my position, and it's been my position all along, that I can't make a decision without knowing what's happening with Western. So that's really the issue. And you know what? Hands are really tied until then. What is Western going to do? WWGTD. And when... That's tough to say. Western has an outgoing president. Western has no real urgency on this, and why should they? If you put all wheels in motion right now on BRT, you still wouldn't be through the necessary waiting periods until after the election. So aren't we left with parking BRT? Well, that's what Councillor Squire is going to be asking tonight. He's going to put forward a motion. Now, London Mayor Matt Brown seems to believe uh, maybe a little differently. He spoke on the Craig Needle show as well. This is, uh, you know, a multi-multi-year project, and uh, uh, it's going to go through several iterations of government, both at the municipal level, at the provincial level, and at the federal level. So to put in an artificial delay like this, just it doesn't make sense in my mind. I know we'll have some conversation about that this evening, uh, and I certainly respect uh, a single councillor's um, right to bring forward a, a motion, and uh, and I also respect that council has 15 decision makers on uh, uh, around the horseshoe, and we'll we'll debate that motion and we'll move forward appropriately. More dialogue, BRT. More dialogue. That's what we're getting tonight. Isn't that what we need? More discussion about this. You can't do anything until you know all of the roots. You can't do anything until all of the participants in this have said, here's what we're going to do. It's kind of like putting together a family reunion and you say, okay, well, we'll have it on this date and you haven't checked to see whether everybody's able to come. You can't do that. You know, you got to pick a date when the majority of people at least are available. Well, in this case, we need everybody. We need everybody's answer. We have no everybody's answer just yet. We're missing a big component, as Councillor Squire pointed out, in Western, and until they say anything, nothing can happen, and probably nothing can happen until after the election in October. The provincial election, a whole lot closer, June 7th, new poll numbers are out, PCs are at 40%, NDP 30%, Liberals at 23%. What do you do with those numbers? Eh, nothing, really, not much. Look back to 2014. Polls in early May had the PCs out front, Liberals tracked on back, Ended up winning. Much of that ended up being some distaste for the PC platform, concern over 
that million jobs strategy it didn't fly. Hey, if you are visiting Parliament Hill this summer, great time to do it. The light shows at night are fantastic. You sit on the lawn in front of the Parliament buildings and you watch a Canadian history presentation that actually teaches you quite a bit. And it's done with the Parliament buildings as the screen. It's it's really neat. If they have that again, you've got to see it. I don't know if that was just for the 150th celebration. I hope not, because that's a thing that should happen all the time. But make sure you look for the giant mess on Parliament Hill, because chances are it's still going to be there. Sean emailed me a picture this weekend. He happened to be in Ottawa, and it's still there. The Liberals put in a skating rink, basically a hockey rink, right? It looked like a hockey rink, had blue lines, a red line, all for Canada's 150th. Ta-da! And they didn't allow you to play hockey on it, and not too many people ended up using it. So, in other words, you couldn't show up with your friends and play hockey. I think they brought in minor hockey teams and, and had some tournaments. But they did have a skating rink outside Parliament Hill called the Rideau Canal, which you can find by walking to the next corner from Parliament Hill. You you cross the street. It's a fairly busy street. You have to be careful. Then you go by the Weston, and then you go by the Rideau Center, which is a mall, and right there is the Rideau Canal. So they made a rink instead. No one really used it. Hockey wasn't allowed on it, and then it melted, and it's left a mess. And what did this whole thing cost? Have you seen this? You know, we built a backyard rink when our kids were smaller, and we were helped out by the greatest rink maker in at least southwestern Ontario. We may be able to put him across Ontario. Peter Inch of Roy Inch & Sons knows his backyard rinks. And with boards and plastic, I think it cost us $300. This one was a little more. Do you remember the price tag on this? The original price tag, $5.6 million. And then it ended up being, reportedly, $8 million in the end because they decided to leave it up for a longer period of time because they had a backlash about having it in the first place, and all that did was cost more money. How much does it cost to run the outdoor rink outside Covent Garden Market? Well, we checked. Not $8 million. Not even a million dollars, not even a half a million, not even a quarter million dollars. Hardly a tenth. And we're talking frozen water here, frozen tap water, but they had to do it upright. The Ottawa Citizen did a breakdown at one point. You ready for some of these? $2.3 million was the cost of the event and the venue design. And again, Peter Inch, some plastic, some wood, 300 bucks. That was it. These guys, $2.3 million. Where did we get these rink makers from? Where? We have rink makers all over the place. You can put in a small hockey rink for less than $2.3 million. Uh, cost of staffing was just shy of a million dollars. Because, you know, once you build a rink outdoors without a canteen or concessions, you have to staff that with, with, with staff members to staff it. I don't know what they would do. Well, you have somebody driving the ice resurfacing machine. That's one guy. I want that job. $958,000 they spent for that. $1.3 million went to other programming and administrative expenses. That was just, what, the extras? Who got that? That's not even designated. Other programming. Administrative expenses. To sign forms? What is this? And then they had another 
thing for 72000 which was general administration, which somehow is different from administrative expenses. This is one of those ridiculous things that you look at that governments spend. And they just, you know what, we're going to do this. We're just going to do it. And we're not going to worry about it, and then it's going to be done, and it's going to be fantastic. It's going to be like a big yellow rubber duck, and everybody's going to love it. That's essentially what this is. And instead, we wind up as taxpayers with an $8 million bill for something that nobody really noticed. But if you're on Parliament Hill, you'll notice it. Because you know what's not contained in all of these millions and hundreds of thousands of dollars? Clean up. Oops, forgot the clean up. We need some good news, don't we? Some happier news? Well, the windstorm was blowing shingles off of roofs. If they did that to your roof, those are most likely covered by your insurance policy. So that's good. The tougher news, insurance adjusters pretty booked up right now. It'll probably rain before they can get to you. So let's get to an actual happy story. Austin P. Ryan is maybe the happiest story we've been able to find today. Austin is a four-year-old from Alabama, who was featured this weekend on CBS News. Would you like a sandwich? Don't forget to show love. Austin always says that. Don't forget to show love. He's four years old. He heard about homelessness not too long ago because he's only four. So he hasn't had too long to hear anything. But he heard about it. He asked his dad, what's homeless? And his dad told him, it's when you don't have a home and sometimes you don't have a mom or dad around. And so Austin decided he wanted to help. So he said, how can I help? And his dad said, well, you know what? Sometimes it's hard for people who are homeless to find food. And Austin said, we should make chicken sandwiches. And that's what they've been doing ever since. And Austin goes out on a regular basis wearing a red cape. And he calls himself President Austin. Why does he do that? Because he feels giving chicken sandwiches to people who are in need is what the president should be doing. President Trump, you listening to this? Because I don't think that's what he's doing. I don't know what he got into this weekend, but I didn't hear much about it. Was he golfing again? Is that why we didn't hear too much about it? President Austin walks around with a red cape giving chicken sandwiches to anyone who he feels needs them. He is eligible to be voted in as president, I believe, in 14 years. You have to be older than 18? I don't think so. I think 18 is the cutoff. So 14 years from now, President Austin, if you are listening to us in the United States, please remember him when you vote. Time for a quick break. Up next, I have an idea, and I don't think people are going to like it. But I want to tell you what it is, and I want you to tell me why it won't work. That's what we'll do next. This is London Live. My name is Mike Stubbs. You're listening to Global News Radio 980 CFPL. 124. Remember, 155 today. We're focusing in on that time because that is when the emergency preparedness test is supposed to take place. However, it did not work in Quebec. So maybe they fixed up the coding here. We were missing a space somewhere in the coding. It's a big difference. Normally, missing a space, ah, that's okay. It's a typo. You can't have a typo in coding. So after all their hype, they got no test. But at some point, right around 155, you should hear that warning preparedness sound. We'll play it again for you. You're ready for it. I don't need to play it again right now because we've heard it a lot. And I, I don't want you to think it's 155. You'll think you're late. It's still 30 minutes from now. Or your phone will buzz. Rob has emailed saying, 
This is just as big as the eclipse <laughs> with everyone checking it on their phone going, is it time yet? Is it time yet? Don't look directly at the sky during emergency preparedness. Are we mixing that up? No, you can. During emergency preparedness, actually, you should look at the sky to make sure there isn't anything in it. Because if it's an emergency preparedness warning for a meteor, you want to be looking at the sky. I don't know what good that's going to do you, but you could. Okay, here's an idea, and we may not have time for a lot of calls on this, but you can always email me, mike at 980cfpl.ca, or you can tweet me at stubs980. If we have time to fit in some calls, we will. But I'll tell you the story. And I know this goes back to a fairly normal issue that pops up from time to time. And it is the following. My wife and I were out for a walk yesterday. We were walking on a sidewalk. And as we were walking on a sidewalk, we heard ding, ding. And it was a couple of cyclists who were on the sidewalk. It was a dad and his daughter. And I want to say the daughter was probably 10, 11, somewhere around there. Probably under 12. So a dad and a daughter on a Sunday out for a cycle. Ding, ding. And we moved off the sidewalk and they drove past. And then we got into a conversation. And my wife looked at me and she said, you know, what they're doing is technically not legal, but I don't have a problem with it. And I looked at her and I said, I've never had a problem with it. Look back to when our kids were younger my f- philosophy was, if I'm going to get fined for riding on the sidewalk with my kids, I'm going to pay that fine. And I'm going to do it, and that's the cost of doing business some days, because I am not riding on the road with my children. And I know we've got more and more bike lanes, but I've always had the philosophy, I would rather be a pedestrian hit by a cyclist, and I'm sure people have stories of bad injuries and things, but... I would rather be a pedestrian and have those two people yesterday run into the back of me and knock me down because I'm pretty convinced I'd get back up with a couple of bruises than I would want either of those cyclists in the road being hit by a car because the outcome is probably going to be a whole lot different. So I wouldn't mind. This is what I want to know from you. I wouldn't mind if we just allowed cyclists on sidewalks, started treating them like bike paths. What do you think? Is that just asking for chaos? Is that what it is? Because we're not Denmark. We are not any Scandinavian country. And the reason that I bring up Denmark is when people get ready to go out to the bars at night, they will put on everything they're going to wear to the bars, you know, When they were stylish, I don't know if they still are, stiletto heels, you bet, throw on the stilettos, and then they would jump on their bicycles and they would ride to the bar. There are bikes everywhere in a lot of countries. We don't really have bikes everywhere. I don't know if it would encourage people to ride their bike a little bit more if they could go from sidewalk to sidewalk, but I'm interested to hear from you. So we may fit this in. After 2.30 or maybe even later on next half hour, we can try and fit in a call or two right now. 519-643-2222. What if we change sidewalks into bike lanes? Am I being completely outrageous? Because sometimes I think an idea is good and then you help me out and I realize, you know what? That was a really dumb thing to say. So bike paths, sidewalks, same thing. 519 643 
22. That's 519-643-2222. And we'll have some time after Jacqueline LaBelle finishes news and we'll discuss it. Or you can email Mike at 980cfpl.ca or tweet me at Stubbs980. News is next with Jacqueline LaBelle. This is London Live on Global News Radio, 980CFPL. We're going to talk with Councillor Jesse Helmer. We'll see what he thinks about this, because he rides a bike everywhere. So I'm interested to hear about that, but we're also going to be talking with Councillor Helmer in about five, six minutes about something else happening in East London. So the question is this. My wife and I were out for a walk yesterday, walking on a sidewalk. Behind us, we get ding, ding, and it was a bike, just like you were walking on the path through Gibbons Park, but we were on a sidewalk. And it was two bikes. It was a dad and a daughter. Daughter younger than a teenager. So young. And my wife turned to me and said, we should make this legal. This should be legal. You should be able to ride bikes on sidewalks. And I said, you know what? You're right. Because... I would rather be hit by a bike than I would have somebody on a bike hit by a car. I like the odds better when it's just a bike. Now, maybe we can put speed limits. We can put some parameters around this. But it's time to just say, go for it, isn't it? I know we've spent a lot of money on bike lanes and things. Greg, what do you think? Oh, hi there. Um, you know, that's one of my pet peeves. I, You know, I, I ride my bike and I often ride on the sidewalk, but... Uh, uh, you know, the pedestrians have the right-of-way on the sidewalk, and when I come to a couple people walking on the sidewalk or whatever, I will pull off and go around them on the on the grass or whatever, or if there isn't a safe spot, I'll just go right back onto the road and then back again. But, they, you know, the, uh, the cyclists assume that this is their mandate to ride on the sidewalk, and that bugs me, and... Uh, and and pedestrians end up going off to the the grass or whatever. And, and bikes nowadays aren't ten speed little thin tires. They have the the wider tires, so they're certainly able to handle the rougher transition from sidewalk to grass to back again. You know. But do you you ride on the sidewalk? So do you think it's it's better to be riding on as much sidewalk as you can as opposed to you trying to navigate city streets? I do, and they, and then they should have a parameter that but the pedestrians have the right of way and uh, that. And that you are to go around them or whatever. Greg, I'm in. If if that's all it takes, yeah, let's do this because it would feel a whole lot safer to me. Yes, exactly. You know, save some bike lanes too, eh? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Greg, thanks yeah. for the call. Okay. 519-643-2222. Email from Rob who says, I don't have a problem with children of a certain age riding their bikes on the sidewalk. I'd say anyone under the age of 12 or 13, their parents should be okay to ride on the sidewalks. Also, over 12 or 13, they should be on the road. That being said, busy roads like Wellington, Warncliffe, Wonderland, the seven W's. Everyone should be riding on the sidewalk unless there are dedicated bike lanes. Rather than putting the bike lanes on the road, I'd rather see them beside the sidewalks. I think commissioners is like that. And another email that says, could not agree with you more. So maybe I'm not completely off base here. Marilyn, you always are are a great test on this. Am I completely off base here? Well, let me say one thing, dear. Uh, You're going to hate me for this, but... I could never hate you. Oh, well, look at sidewalks. That's what they're called, sidewalks. <laughs> Anyways, dear, if people are careful, but some aren't. I was knocked down when I was a child by a cyclist, and my skirt, skirt was ripped, and my stockings were ripped, and uh, my mother was really up in arms about it. 
But anyways, that was one cyclist. If 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 they're careful, you know, um, Mike, you don't see kids playing on the sidewalks anymore. You don't see little girls with doll buggies walking down the street with them. You don't see kitty cars. You don't see tricycles. You don't see them skipping or playing hopscotch anymore. At least I haven't, and I drive around quite a bit. So I suppose if a, a cyclist is very, very careful that they don't knock anybody down, if your first caller said, if you're approaching someone, go on the road and then get back on the sidewalk again. Yeah, I mean, that's that makes sense to me. So, Marilyn, yeah, I, I can side with you if you've been hit by a cyclist, but I would rather somebody be hit by a cyclist well, right than hit there. by a car. I do not like, uh, I do not like encountering uh, cyclists on the road. I do not like that at all. Exactly. That, that's scares, difficult for drivers. Well, it scares the wits out of me. I just go very slow, and I get in another lane to get away from them. And uh, there are lanes, specific lanes for cyclists, but but they're not all over the place, you know. They're just in specific areas. And uh, like going up Wonderland Road North, which I, I go to uh, church up on Wonderland Road North. But anyways, um, I don't see too many of these cycle, these lanes that are special for cyclists. Well, they're coming. That's the whole thing. They're putting more and more in. But, Marilyn, I'll I'll put you down for someone who says a sidewalk is just like it says, a sidewalk. Did you get um, your letter yet? I haven't. That is absolutely (laughs) awful. I will check at the front desk after the show today. And, Marilyn, hopefully it's there. And if it is, I will make sure and let you know. Don't worry. It it will arrive. Sometimes it takes a little longer. Look, and I put everything but the kitchen sink on that envelope. I just about put your life history on there. Damn it all. I hope you get it. I will, Marilyn, I will get it. If not, I will call Canada Post. You have a great afternoon. Okay, honey. Thank you. Bye-bye. Marilyn mailed a letter last week. I think it was last week, early last week, and it has not arrived yet. Maybe it was even two weeks ago, so we'll have to investigate this. Tim, bikes on the sidewalks. What do you think? Oh, actually, I think... um uh, well, my take is no, there should be any bikes on the sidewalk, and but I think that the bikes they we should do um, find a happy medium between um, the way we drive our cars and the way um, from England to go on the opposite side of the road. I think the bicycles should be able to ride on the opposite side of the road so that they're facing the cars. Mm-hmm. The car that way the cars can see them, and then the right biker can see the cars. Like that's what we learned when we come in the country. But that's what that told us walking the opposite side of the road so the car can see you and you can see the car and you can jump all the way. That's the I rule. Think I think I think it's a lot. I think it's a, I think it's a lot better than both the cars and the bicycles going the same way, and you know, and then you it's hard for you know it's hard for uh, the person riding the bicycle and they get all nervous and all that kind of stuff. That's right. And here's just one short thing. My a few years ago, my son he was on his um he was at his time in Tilsburg. He was on his way his first day to to a, a, a job at the lumberyard. He was riding his bike in a transfer truck. Clipped him with the rear of the transfer truck, broke his arm in three places, and the transfer truck driver never even stopped. Wow. 
See, and that's why <laughs> I think this needs to yeah. be a conversation. Yeah, and my son got up and per- my son got up and perks him, but he's okay now and all that kind of stuff. Now. But anyways, yeah, it was just, but you know, he wasn't he wasn't right about for for quite a number of years, you know. Yeah. Especially in the truck. And, and actually, my son even said, you know, he was just he was amazing. He was in his twenties. He said, "Daddy, be honest with you, he's just done. He you know, what sort of cry? He said, you know, he's in the truck that even knew himself could hit him. You know what I mean? Yeah, exactly. Tim, thanks for the call. Okay, okay. appreciate it. Bye-bye. 519-643-2222. Final word on this belongs to Bob. Bob, what do you think? I think the sidewalk is out for bikes. They shouldn't be on it. But I also think that bikes should follow the same rules on the road as traffic does. Stop for stop lanes. Stop for red lights. Don't, don't pull in between traffic. Just because there's room to put a bike doesn't mean to say they should do that. Uh, they, they just don't realize that you can't always see them. Mm-hmm. And they'll, they'll pull between you and a curb. And I, I even had a guy driving there. I was driving a truck there for quite a while. For, they come in between me and the curb. His feet were strapped to the pedals, and he's sitting with his hand on the duels, <laughs> wait, waiting for the light to change. You could hardly see the guy. Yeah, see, the, they can't treat other traffic as inanimate objects, which sometimes does happen. So, I mean, this is not all on drivers. This is not all on pedestrians. This is on cyclists, too. But I think there's a happy medium here, or at least something that we can do to make it a whole lot safer. Bob, well, thanks for the well, call. What, what, what does the police do for lights? So you never see a bike with a light on it. Well, that's that's the whole thing. Do we need more officers? Because those things, there are a lot of other things that police officers are looking after than making sure everybody on a bike has well, a light or everybody on a bike has a helmet, that's for sure. They put a red flashing light on the back of a bike. That's illegal. You can't have a red light that flashes on anything except a police car or an ambulance or a fire truck. Wow. But, but people do it. Like they, they don't follow the rules of the road. That's my biggest contention. There you go. Bob, we would solve everything if we all followed the rules of the road, wouldn't we? We'd solve a lot of it. <laughs> Bob, thanks for the call. Thanks. Have a great day. 519-643-2222. Uh, Brian threw something in here saying, and this, this puts a complete wrench, what do we do with e-bikes? E-bikes on sidewalks, Mike. What do we do with them? 519-643-2222. Got to take a break in a second, but we do have time for James still. James, how do you feel about this? Uh, first of all, it is now legal to put a red flashing light on the back of your bike. They changed it. It's in the it's in the tra- Highway Traffic Act. They actually put it in there. You can have a red light on it. It just happened recently. Okay. Uh, the other Thanks thing for is that. people who are riding against traffic right now, if until the law changes, should not do that. They should stop doing that because people making left left into like a building or something like that or right out. Never look. I always oh, sure. actually do. I make sure I stop be- before the sidewalk and look really carefully. But I would say a good percentage of people do- don't do that, and you will get hit. No, hey, you, you make a great point. I just want to clarify what Tim was talking about. He said it was kind of that in-the-country rule where you have much less traffic and it's safer to be riding on the dirt road if you can see the traffic coming at you. And I think that's that's what he was referring back to. But, yeah, that's definitely, if you're riding around the city, don't ride against the flow of traffic. That's not the way to go. Yeah, I might agree with him there, but uh, in the city driving, you're, you're really putting yourself in danger. James, thanks. Right. Have, have an outstanding afternoon. If you have any thoughts on bikes on sidewalks, we'll have to investigate this. As James says, you can put a red flashing light on a bike. I think you should have as many reflectors and all kinds of things as you can on your bike, especially these days. If I was riding on a city street at any time that wasn't bright daytime, even during the daytime, if I could have a red flashing light, I'd want that. 
519-643-2222. We are going to take a break. You can email Mike at 980cfpl.ca. You can tweet me at Stubbs980. We're going to be talking about something happening in East London. I want to tell you, after 2 o'clock, we have a remarkable guest coming in. He's a guy who's going to be giving a TEDx talk on Islamophobia. And we'll get into how that came to be. But we'll also get into what he has experienced by way of Islamophobia and his own personal experiences. And it's it's one of those things that you can look back in history and you can say there were times when groups were, whether it's targeted, whether it is groups experiencing racism, whether, you know, you give what you can look back in history, and this has been going on for a long, long time. And right now it, it is an issue, and we're going to discuss it. After 2 o'clock, Mohammed Hamoud will join us. And in just a few minutes, we're still expecting that emergency preparedness signal to go. So we'll return after this. My name is Mike Stubbs. This is London Live. You're listening to Global News Radio 980 CFPL. Emergency preparedness test should be coming up at 155. If it happens, we will be the first province to make it work so far today. They tried it in Quebec. Didn't work. Coding was off. Somebody threw in an extra space. No, it's dollar sign backslash dot 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 three six m three space four five space seven three c. Of course it is. How can I be so silly? How, how can I have forgotten that? Coding is not an easy thing, but if you can learn how to do it, there are jobs for you. We were talking about cycling on the sidewalk. This is a little different than that, but. You know, we talk about rules of the road. Bob said it. If everybody would obey the rules of the road, the world would be a better place. Sometimes the people enforcing the rules of the road have difficulty with the rules of the road. There was a story from the public broadcaster in Toronto over the weekend, and it was about a woman from Toronto, and she was in Georgia. And she was actually pulled over for doing 87 and a 70. So there is that. So she was doing 87 and a 70, and she had an Ontario license. Well, the state trooper that pulled her over looked at her Ontario license and said, this is not a valid license. What is this? What, do you have some funny money in your pocket too? Didn't ask that, but said this isn't valid. And actually handcuffed her and brought her into the police station, and she was charged with speeding again. 87 in a 70 zone. She was driving too fast. This is miles an hour. But she was also charged with driving without a license. She had her mugshot taken. She was fingerprinted. And she says, they kept saying, you're now in the system. Any crime that's going to be committed, your fingerprints are going to be searched. And she said, yep, but I haven't committed a crime. Charge me with speeding. Fine. But seriously, this is a valid driver's license. And in Georgia, somebody needs to do some more educating that these these Canadian things, oh, you're from Canada. Oh, yeah, I've heard of that. Do you know Steve? I met him once. He's from Canada. He's, I don't know where he lives. Is it near you? Do you know a Steve? That's the kind of thing that goes on. Look at Simpsons. Oh, Canada. Who's going to remember that country way down there? This proves it. Please teach Canadian geography at least a little bit. You know, when you watch the news in the U.S., oftentimes their map just stops at the 49th parallel. That's it. Nothing is above this. 
The emergency preparedness test is coming up. We're going to try and carry it live. We're actually, we have no choice. It'll be carried live. And it could be in two minutes. We'll be back. I'm Mike Stubbs. This is Global News Radio, 980 CFPL. Okay, we're T-minus 25 seconds. I think there should be the warning noise in now T-minus 15 seconds if this is going to work. They tried it in Quebec earlier today. Fail. But if it's going to happen, and if our clocks are synced up, it should be happening in two, one. Do you hear anything? Is your phone buzzing? My phone's not buzzing. Andrew Graham's working the show. Andrew, is your Andrew's phone is not buzzing. I don't hear anything. We're supposed to be having the emergency preparedness test right now. Our clocks are synced up with all of the synced up clocks. Oh, wait a minute. Andrew just got a notification. Andrew just got a notification. I I don't have it. Oh. This is a test of Ontario's alert ready system. There is no danger to your health or safety. If this was an actual emergency, you would now hear instructions for protecting yourself. Compatible mobile devices are now able to receive emergency alerts. For more information about emergency alerts, please visit www.ontario.ca/alertready. It worked. That's fantastic. It worked. Except it didn't work on my phone. What was that email that she gave or website address that she gave? Ontario.aslurked. I think she said they need to work on that. That wasn't clear at all. I wish we had a recording of that. Can we find that somewhere? Because I will play that back at some point during the show. Because I tried to write down the website because Andrew's phone went off. No problem. He got the alert. The meteor just fell on me and I didn't see it coming. The tornado is coming through my neighborhood now and I haven't got a clue. Because my phone is still not showing. Did I have to sign up for something? Did I have to agree to something here? Did I not do an update? I'm not sure. But we have to hear that website address again. See, why is it that we had to have a digital person do this? Why couldn't we actually have a human come and do Did it cost too much money? Did we have some kind of digitized voice company that the Ontario government had on retainer or the federal government had on retainer that they had to do this? Because that was horrible. She gave that web address, and I, I'm sure she said slurp. I've never heard a web address, especially when, in this case, it was an Ontario government website with the word slurp in it. We've got to play that back. We'll do that. We also have a very important interview with Mohammed Hamoud. He's going to join us in studio. He's giving a TEDx talk on Islamophobia. And that's coming up in the near future. He's going to tell us about his own personal experiences in about 10 minutes. My name is Mike Stubbs. This is Global News Radio 980 CFPL. Just sitting here, looking at my phone, just waiting for the emergency preparedness message to uh, alert me. Andrew got his. Checked with the newsroom. Lenny Lambrink got hers. Jacqueline LaBelle got his, or hers. Uh, Scott Monick, our news director, got uh, his. Matt Trevithick. Yep, he got his. Anybody else not get one? Feel very left out. Very, very left out. The emergency preparedness test did work. That's good. 
Overall, this is very good. I'm not trying to make light of this. This is a very good thing. We need this. We need to know when things are going on. Amber Alerts will pop up, and now that they can send it directly to most phones. Not mine, but most phones. Everything, uh, everything should work out well. So, um, I got a favor to ask. If you hear of an emergency of some kind, all the things that Jacqueline Carbone was talking about this morning in her report on 980 CFPL, if you, if you hear of one of those things, tornado, hurricane, uh, Amber Alert, uh, were there any other attack of some kind, meteor shower that's going to land on us, if you could let me know, just, uh, just flip me a text or uh, just message me on Facebook. I have those alerts. They come to my phone. Just not the, not the big one. Mohammed Hamoud is going to join us in just a few minutes, and he has a very important story to tell. And it's one of us that, or one that all of us need to hear. It's one that we've maybe heard in some forms before, but Mohammed has a way of really putting things into perspective. And it is a story of Islamophobia. And that's a word that you know you might just let go by. You hear it every once in a while. Uh, uh. But then you can probably look closely at your own life and you can see examples of it. And it's something that is very difficult for someone who is of a particular faith, and it's very difficult for them right now. And Muhammad Hamoud has just walked in the door. So, Muhammad, sit right down, as a matter of fact, and we will start talking about this because it is a topic that needs to be addressed. Please welcome to the show Muhammad Hamoud. Muhammad, welcome to the studio. Thank you very much for having me, Mike. Well, great to have you here because this is a a really important topic, number one, but the way that this has all come together is pretty fascinating. Why don't we first off just allow you to introduce yourself. Who is Mohammed Hamoud? Thank you very much. So Mohammed Hamoud is a father of three and a husband of 20 years, celebrated just last uh, week, actually. Hey, congratulations. Thank you very much. So I've been a proud Canadian and a Londoner off and on uh, for about 42 years. So I've been in Canada since the start of the Civil War in Lebanon, came uh, from Lebanon directly to London and area, made it, made it home. Um, and uh, really glad to be part of this community. You are someone who is a, a great talker. You're passionate about this community. You're passionate about who you are. And that has kind of led you into something really interesting. We know TED Talks because they just seem to pop up everywhere and they help to create a lot of great discussion. You are now involved in something that will take you to Traverse City and you will be delivering a TED Talk, and this is something that has kind of gone through a competition phase. Maybe take us back to where you got started in this and what it is. 
Sure. So the way that TED Talks, yeah, sometimes it starts with a nomination, sometimes with an application. Um, mine was kind of a, a both. So I got nominated to speak. I put in, in a pitch, and my topic was picked. I heard back from them in about three days. This was in January, and I just pitched on the topic of my name and my Islamic identity. And I didn't really think I'd hear back. After about four days, I think I got an email and said, "We'd love to learn more. Would you be interested in coming for a pitch in uh, February?" Of course, I was very trepidatious. My heart was beating, and I'm like, "Yes, but this is really scary for me." So that's how it started. Now, from there, you actually got through a, a few more steps to the point that you are now going to be presenting a talk. So, what had to happen to right. make that happen? So, there were twenty people that were um, brought down to finalists, and they were invited to go on, on uh, February twenty eighth. We pitched in uh, Traverse City, and from those three people, a week later, um, they sent out an email said, "We have three winners, right?" And in particular, you know, when they reached out to me, they said, "Thank you for bringing diversity to Traverse City. Traverse City is a beautiful, beautiful little town. It's kind of like the little Hollywood of the North, right?" Um, but the people in Traverse are very unique, very warm. Um, they opened their arms and their community to me when I was up there. And when people were leaving after the pitch, all I heard was, "Thank you, Muhammad. Thank you, Muhammad." And uh, that really resonated with me because it made me want to go back. So when I got the email to confirm that I was one of the ones chosen for the uh, actual TEDx presentation in May, uh, I was ready. Mohammed Hamoud with us in studio. And now I think it's time to turn to what it is that you are talking about, what it is that you want to make sure all of us here, not just those people in Traverse City, all of us. Sure. So the reason this is close to heart as you mentioned earlier, I'm really passionate about it. I've been working with agencies for over 25 years and just with the aim of raising awareness around racism. Uh, I believe racism is like a disease in the body, right? And if there's a disease, it doesn't just affect your arm or your, your leg. It affects your entire body and your well-being. And when we have racism in our community, it's going to affect us all. So uh, this is an opportunity to have the TED stage and to deliver that message and to talk about what racism does to an individual. Also does it through the uh, lens of a personal narrative. So if I have agency over my own words, I can communicate to people what racism and Islamophobia in particular does to you, what it does to us. We always like to think, hey, we're all Canadian. We're all a big happy family in this country. We're as polite as they come. People enjoy us when we travel abroad, all those sorts of things. How do you feel about being Canadian? You know what? My pseudonym when I go when I travel abroad, especially back to the homeland of Lebanon, they call me Mohammed Al Kennedy, Mohammed the Canadian, because they really differentiate me from having drunk too much, you know, Canadian water, <laughs> uh, which means that I'm purebred Canadian to them, right? That makes me very proud because, you know, Lebanon may have been my birthland. It may have been my natural mother, right? But Canada is my adopted mother. I've been here for 42 years, longer than I've been anywhere else in my life. And it makes me proud to be here. And actually, it is a beautiful community in London and in Canada. But we can't deny that fear of the unknown, fear of others, fear of what we hear, what we misinterpret in the media, what we see in the media, which is actually real, comes home and... It causes us to, to fear what could actually happen here if what we see abroad, you know, is transposed into our own backyards and to our doorsteps. So it's an opportunity to tell people there are a lot of Muslims here. London has 30,000 Muslims. We have the first mosque in Ontario, the second in Canada. You probably bought bread from a, a Muslim today. You probably dealt with a Muslim, spoke with them on the phone. But you know what? 
you probably didn't know they were a Muslim, right? And unless somebody decides to wear like the Sikh parka or a cross or the hijab, you're not likely to know their religious convictions and you don't have to. But if they do decide to acknowledge themselves with a particular uh, religious conviction, we should be respectful. We should be tolerant. We shouldn't be fearful. We shouldn't think that they're out to get us. Mohammed, I want to stop you right there. Mohammed Hamoud joins us. And Mohammed is going to be giving a TEDx talk about Islamophobia. Mohammed, I want to take a quick break and then I want to ask you about your own personal experiences with Islamophobia. Mohammed Hamoud in studio with us. This is London Live. My name is Mike Stubbs. You're listening to Global News Radio 980 CFPL. We are talking about Islamophobia. Mohammed Hamoud with us in studio. And if you're just joining us, Mohammed has been selected to do a TEDx talk, which is essentially a TED talk, right? And it is one that is done by an independent person. And that TED talk is going to be about Islamophobia. And it's something that has existed for a while. And I don't know, with the growing political climate in the U.S., is it becoming a bigger issue? Probably. Mohammed, what I want to do is talk to you right now about your own personal experiences with this. Can you point to instances in your own life in which you say you were a victim of racism? Unfortunately, yes. And to this very day, right? I, I I've I've just turned 50. So I think that I have a pretty good connection and um, understanding of who I am as an individual. But what happens when we're young, what happens to us in our formative years doesn't really ever leave us. So I left the Civil War. I came and tried to adjust to a new lifestyle in Canada. I was a little over seven. My name was taken away from me. My identity was taken away from me. There were certain schools we weren't allowed to to attend. Canada was a very different landscape back in the 70s and the 80s, right? And even though we may have had Islamophobia, it may not have been known by that term or we may not have received the hatred as openly as we now do. Because now we know there's organizations and unfortunately groups like Al-Qaeda and Daesh, right, that we know them as ISIS. And they are spreading a misinterpretation of Islam, a very perverse uh, interpretation of Islam that they use to endorse their own ideology, right? And unfortunately, the people that they hold ransom first and foremost are Muslims. So we're paying the price in our communities anywhere in the world and here in London and Canada. So how do we deal with that as a community? First, through awareness, through having an open mind through understanding that people that we engage with on a daily basis want nothing different than we do, which is they want to raise their children in safe schools, safe neighborhoods. They want peace. Most of these people that have left, whether they left like me 40 years ago or two years ago like the Syrian uh, newcomers, these people left atrocious environments. They left terrorism. I don't think they want to come here and reinvent it with their new neighbors. I think they want a new start of life. And those people did. Myself, I like to think that I'm pretty successful in what I do. I'm engaged in my community. I'm a father. I'm a husband. I work. I give back to, to the Canadian community. I pay my taxes. So I'm as normal as the other person. And if you look at me, I don't look Muslim. So when people hear, your name is who? Is what? So you're a revert or a convert or your parents, right? They don't quite believe I'm Muslim because I guess Muslim, you have to be a certain color. You have to dress a certain way. And that's just not the way. You, you certainly can take that option 
to look more Muslim if you want. And maybe sisters in our community, women in our community may decide to wear the hijab and they're visible minorities, right? But for the most part, you won't know a Muslim if you see them. When you see Muhammad, when you meet Muhammad, you'll know you're talking to a Muslim because of the name. And I've struggled with that throughout my life. People, when they hear the name Muhammad, maybe don't want to do business with me anymore. I've lost clients because of that. I've had people turn away. And, and that's okay. That was always an opportunity for me to start a dialogue, whether it was at a, soup, you know, at a local convenience store or a grocery store, whether it was in a Tim Hortons. It's an opportunity to start a conversation and to let the other person know they're looking in the mirror. We may come from many different backgrounds, but there's one nation that we form, and that's humankind. Well said. Mohammed Hamoud with us. Those conversations, they still come up? They do. And I welcome them because what I've learned in my life is if people have differing opinions than my own, that always reinforces what I believe. And it helps me start a discussion to ask the other person, why do they believe what they do? Most people don't want to harbor evil intent to others. They don't want to hurt other people. But you can't blame them for what they hear and listen on the media and on TV and fake news, right, and what some of our politicians are mandating. So, you know, if you've been exposed to that from an early age, you're probably going to be on the other end of the spectrum of where I am. If I may be the victim of uh, Islamophobia, people that are doling it out probably are victims themselves too because they don't know any better. Having those discussions, starting those conversations is an opportunity to say, why do you feel the way that you do? And what can I do to change that? Change starts with us. Mohammed, 40 years ago, your family made a choice, made a choice to leave the country that they were in to basically start over. Do you ever think about what your life might have been like had you stayed? Every day. I, when I go and I visit Lebanon, I struggle with coming back because I always say, what if – and even though as I get older and maybe a bit wiser, I try to you know, overcome that feeling of the what if. But you don't because now my children go through it. You know, Dad, what if somebody gets run over? You know, tragic stories of what happened in Toronto, right? We sat at the dinner table looking at each other. What if he is Muslim? We were scared. I was consoling friends on Facebook till about 11 o'clock at night waiting to hear whether or not the alleged perpetrator was going to be Muslim. Of course, our hearts were with the families, but our hearts are sitting there at the table waiting to find out if he's Muslim, what's it going to be like for us tomorrow? My daughter's like, Dad, what's it going to be like for me as a 15-year-old girl going to school being one of the only few with a hijab? I've had it. So I don't have the luxury of walking away from the what if, because it just reinvents itself as racism and Islamophobia continues to be part of our community. And when you look at a news story, I mean, there are so many that you could say the same thing about. How often does conversation come up at the dinner table for you? Um, if you talk about local events, probably not that often, but often enough. And if you look at global events, probably ask me how many times during one day. Really? Right? Because that's the reality. I, I, I choose to be tuned into that. I choose to be on, on the ready so that if people have something to say, I can respond, right? And people, I hope people have something to say rather than somebody harboring those feelings and maybe that feeling of confusion that may turn into feeling of hate, that may turn into a feeling of violence, right, or into a, a, a violent action. If they have that conversation, say, well, why do you guys do that? Or why, 
you know, why do you do the same thing that they do? You know, they believe in the Quran. They probably pray just like you. I don't represent other individuals. And other individuals who are evil don't represent me. I'm my own person. I'm accountable for my own actions. And if I can start with that conviction, it doesn't matter what I pray, to, to, to which direction I face when I pray. The sun shines for everybody, right? So, I mean, we're all under the same sunshine. We, we, we all take from the same community and from the same environment, and we just give back. What does it feel like to hear the you guys, why do you guys, when you hear those statements? You know, that, that's a confusing question. Because even though you said to me, how prepared am I usually? But when I hear that, it's always confusing because what do you say? Every time somebody's asking you a question and being accusatory, they have a different personal narrative themselves. They've grown up with a vantage point, with, with a perspective that is a collection of their own life experiences. If they have come to be 30 or 40 or 80 and they harbor certain feelings about other people, people of color, indigenous, Muslims, whatever you have, if they have racist convictions, it's because of the experiences that they have been through throughout their life. As individuals and as community members, the best that we can do is open our arms, open our doors, Open our places of worship and let people know, hey, come take a look. You'd be surprised what you'd find. Mohammed, it's been fantastic having you here to talk about Thank this. You. Are we going to be able to see the TEDx talk online? There will be. It'll actually be um, on May 16th. I'll be sharing from my Facebook uh, a live link. But a few days after that, it will be made public uh, People who are subscribed to TEDx will actually get an email, and I will be sharing that as well. And if you would be so kind, I will share it with you that you can share it with your listeners. You know I will. Thank you very much, Mike. Thanks for being here. Thank you for the opportunity. Mohammed Hamoud. Now, there's a story. This man right here is somebody who I love the way you started off, Mohammed, saying you're a father, you're a husband, just celebrated an anniversary, and yet this is what you've got to do in in finding your way through different days and, and looking at things that might be said about your religion. And you know what? That's that's the kind of stuff that we've got to get through. And unfortunately, I think we've had the pushback the other way. And it, it bothers me that that's happened. So this is a conversation that, again, Mohammed, thank you for having it with us. And it's a conversation that will happen again. We have a couple of other conversations still to come before 3 o'clock. Jacqueline LaBelle is going to have news, and that comes up in about two and a half minutes. But we are going to be talking about real estate in London, St. Thomas. Take a look. We've always heard that we had some growing room as far as prices went, because you try and compare London, St. Thomas to just about any other market. And we're not talking go to Toronto, go to Vancouver. Those are still in their own stratosphere but go to Guelph go to Kitchener and we always had what was felt to be room for growth well one of the things that we're dealing with right now is not necessarily room for growth because people coming from Toronto people coming from other higher centers selling their place and just coming and and being ready to buy here that has certainly shown a, a a real rise in prices in London and St. Thomas. However, we have another issue 
that is hitting us as really spring finally arrives and people start thinking, well, do we want to move? Wait till the kids get out of school. That's typically the time when you see a number of people deciding to put their house up for sale. But we have another issue in real estate, and we'll outline that at about 2.40. And we will also talk with Jesse Helmer. We'll have to ask him about cycling on the sidewalks, but we're going to be talking about something happening in East London. Jacqueline LaBelle, next with news. My name is Mike Stubbs. This is Global News Radio 980 CFPL. Let's check my phone again. Still no emergency preparedness message. I did find a couple of other people in the office who did not receive it. And it doesn't seem to be, oh, all iPhones got it, or oh, all Androids got it, or oh, all flip phones got it. It's not like that at all. It just doesn't seem to come to everybody. I don't know. I don't get it. But we did have the the message over 980 CFPL. So if you are ever wondering, you just leave Global News Radio 980 CFPL on. You'd be fine because it'll break in. The one concern I do have is I want to reach the powers that be to say, hey, uh, this phone didn't get it. Can I change that for next time so that I know about all the important stuff too? I like to know about important stuff. Can I do that? Well, I'm having trouble figuring out what website to go to. Listen again. For more information about emergency alerts, please visit www.ontario.co/alertrity. Hmm. So, you need me to go to www.ontario.co/alertrity. Great. That's exactly what I'll be doing then. I've been to that website www.ontario.co/alertrity. Many times in the past, where's the Kostashalertrity key on this exactly? Can we hear that one more time? For more information about emergency alerts, please visit www.ontario.co/alertrity. You know what she's saying? You know what she's saying? I think I got it. She is saying www.ontario.ca only she said it dot ca slash alert ready. Andrew's punching this in right now. Andrew Graham is working the show with us. www.ontario.ca slash alert ready. Andrew, does that give us what we're looking for? That That's it. But of course, that's not what it would say. Because Why? Who in their right mind? Because you know what? They've been preparing for this for a long time. Because how many times have we heard about this? Heard about this a lot, right? Yes, we have. Monday, we're going to be getting this test. And then all day today, hey, test is coming. Hey, 155, you ready? You got your reminder set? 155, emergency test. We've been hearing it. So that means that somebody within the provincial government, in our case... Or was it the federal government? I'm not even sure. Might have been the federal government sent this stuff down. I don't know. One of the governments listened to that and thought, you know what? Send this out. We're done. Find me a patio. My job is done here because I have a digitized digitized voice that is saying, for people who want more information... Go to www.ontario.cast/alertrity. Yep, we're good. 
Excellent job, everybody. Congratulations. Put that out to all Canadians. At least put it out to the Ontario people. They don't pay attention anyway. Doesn't matter. What happened here? Can anybody figure this one out? That is that is sad. That whoever's job it was to put this thing together, first of all, didn't use a human. Second of all, dot ca slash alertrity. Really? Really? That's the amount of time you took on this? I'm very disappointed right now in both levels of government until I find out which one was responsible. But both of them are on the hook because somebody should have caught this somewhere and they didn't. That's pathetic. All right. On to happier things. We'll talk real estate in a minute. Maybe your home or condo is worth more than what you think. Maybe if you put it on the market right now, you could have a bidding war. We'll find out how real estate is doing. We'll take some temperature on the real estate market in London and St. Thomas next. This is London Live. My name is Mike Stubbs. You're listening to Global News Radio, www.ontario.ca/alertrady. Seriously? You are listening to Global News Radio, 980 CFPL. Looking to buy a domain name. Is there any .ca available? That's not a thing? Oh, yes, it is. <laughs> you may not think it is. That's a thing. Government thinks so. It's a beautiful day, and we are officially into spring. John Wilson's forecast says nothing about flurries. I know he's talking about some systems coming through that could provide us with rain later next week. But this tends to be when everything picks up. Lawnmowers, gardening, and real estate. So let's take the old temperature of London St. Thomas real estate right now. Jeff Nethercott is the president of the London St. Thomas Association of Realtors and joins us. Jeff, always great to talk with you. Spring weather picking up. How's the real estate market in London and St. Thomas doing? Yeah, it's it's a it's a robust market out there. Um, you know, we hear the story that sales are down. However, uh, prices still remain strong and consistently rising due to lack of homes available for buyers out there right now. And could that be the reason that we do see sales down just because there isn't as much to buy? Yeah, it's it's a continued trend that we've seen over the last few months is is there's just no selection out there. So buyers are out there uh shopping and there's very few homes. So when uh you know a home that meets a lot of requirements is is meeting the requirements for a number of buyers who will compete with offers on it. Um and yeah, there's just not enough selection. So that will continue to to decrease the number of sales over the over the time period as that inventory keeps shrinking and you have more and more buyers looking at the same uh, few homes that are available. So in other words, more and more people seem happy in their homes or not needing to move at the moment? Have we, have we seen this turn buyer-seller, seller-buyer at all? Um, yeah, we, we, we saw a lot of this start last year with out-of-town um, consumers in our marketplace who, when they buy a house, they don't have a home to sell. So that uh, drives the market down um, as far as the homes available. And that trend has, has continued. We're not seeing as many people who are looking to buy a home that they're moving up and sell the home they live in. And, you know, when they're, when they're ready to move up, they're a little hesitant to put their, their home on the market because there's lack of selection out there. So it continues to lessen the number of homes available for everybody. Um, and it, it becomes a little bit of a cyclical effect over the last few months. 
Jeff Nethercott with us, president of the London St. Thomas Association of Realtors. So is this one of those things that can continue or because we're kind of hitting into that sweet spot where, you know, kids finish school, people are maybe looking to do their moving then, what do you see in the crystal ball? Yeah, I wish I had a clear vision in that crystal ball, but uh, we've had a late spring um, this year. Homes generally start to come on in, in April and May when, when the weather turns in our area. So hopefully in the, in the next 30 days, it being May, as, as you said, kids are, you know, people try and plan that move in the summer. We tend to see more inventory, more homes available for, uh, for buyers out there. We're still uh, at record low levels of inventory over the last 10 years, so we've got a number of homes that need to come on to meet that uh, demand. Um, so it'll take a few months to correct back to a more balanced market. If you put your home on the market, sellers always want that magical bidding war. Do you see things like that taking place right now? Yeah, we are seeing uh, multiple offer situations or bidding wars, if you will, in a number of of homes where they're selling at uh, list price or above, uh, roughly around 70% of the the homes out there listed. And it's a strategy you you have to sit down and and plan with your realtor is what's going to work best for your situation. Um, We've seen a little bit uh, fewer buyers out there when you're in multiple offer situations where you might get four or five offers instead of what we were seeing a couple months ago with 10. It doesn't mean that um, you're not going to get a great value for your home. You just have to be careful on that strategy. Price point's always key. If we go back long enough, it used to be, well, if you price your house at over $200,000, might be hard to move it. Now that bar has risen substantially. As far as price point goes, what are people looking for? Yeah, the the busiest um, price area in our in our market right now would be homes um, under that uh, 500 mark. There is a lot of activity in those first time buyers, those investors in that in that real sweet spot, probably around um, the average sale price of of the market. Um, and that's in London and St. Thomas as well. When you get into the higher market prices, we've had mortgage rules that have impacted people's. Um, qualification levels and their buying power. So that has slowed that area of the market down just a little. Um, But yeah, definitely buyers are out there looking for that home in around that 300 mark to to 500 mark that is move-in ready and they, uh, they don't have to invest time and equity to make it the home they want. Well, now that the spring has arrived and the forecast does show it's going to stick for a little while, we'll see what happens. Jeff, thanks so much for the update. You're welcome, and and thanks for our time. Jeff Nethercott, president of London St. Thomas Association of Realtors. And that price point does matter, and there can be bidding wars, especially when there isn't a lot of inventory, but you got to hit on that. We got an email while we were talking, and this came from Dan, and Dan says, My friend put his house up on the market for $420,000, was told by his agent or a new agent, not sure which, to reduce it to $399. It wasn't selling at $420, went down to $399, got multiple offers, sold for $460. (laughs) Isn't supply and demand and capitalism a crazy thing sometimes? Didn't sell at $420. Put it down to three ninety nine. Bidding war. Sold it for four sixty. Next up, we're going to talk about something happening in the East End of London, 
And we'll also have to ask about an earlier conversation that we had because Councillor Jesse Helmer is going to join us. And Councillor Helmer is someone who does ride his bike an awful lot. And around 1.20, we were talking about whether or not just to make sidewalks bike lanes. Just just go. And we got a lot of conditions on this from callers and emails. And I think we could create something pretty easily because it's... It's difficult for drivers to deal with bikes on the road. We'll all admit that. Even with the new green bike lanes, eventually they end. And then what? And that's what I always wonder. No, there's the one as you're driving up on Wonderland, I think it is. I think it's at Wonderland and Riverside. Isn't there a green bike lane? And then just as you're about to go under the bridge going north on Wonderland before you get to Oxford, it ends. And then what? Where are the cyclists going? Well, they're joining the flow of traffic. And that's where things get dangerous, and I would much rather have a pedestrian hit by a bicycle than I would a cyclist hit by a car. That's just me, and I think it's time to really look into something like this. But we're going to be talking with Councillor Helmer about something happening in the East End as well. But I'll ask him a little bit about cycling and, and some of his experiences. This is London Live. My name is Mike Stubbs. You're listening to Global News Radio 980 CFPL. Bright sunshine downtown. Ward 4 Councillor Jesse Helmer joins us. Councillor Helmer, how's Monday? Monday is going very well. Thanks for having me on, Mike. Good. I know that you cycle a number of places. We were talking earlier on the show about maybe just letting cyclists ride free on the sidewalk. When you cycle around, do you do predominantly roads, or can you deke up onto sidewalks? What's safest? It depends on um, what you're thinking about in terms of safety. So... For pedestrians, a cyclist mixing onto the sidewalk is not very safe, and that's why we have a bylaw that says uh, don't ride your bike on the sidewalk unless you're a kid. So we do take an approach which says, you know, keep your cycles, um, your bikes onto the road. Um, In some cases, though, you know, people uh, don't really care that much about the bylaw. They're not going to bike, for example, through an underpass on uh, Wellington Road. Um, getting into downtown, and they might bike along the uh, the sidewalk at a slow speed and just try and be careful. Um, and I've seen people do that, and I myself have done that, uh, despite the fact that we're not supposed to uh, ride on the bike, ride the bikes on the sidewalk. So you have the option of dismounting if it's a short distance. Uh, but generally, you don't want cyclists and pedestrians to mix, although in some circumstances, uh, it can work fine. I'd rather cyclists and pedestrians mix than cyclists and cars, though. Absolutely. I mean, unfortunately, um, cyclists can be pretty dangerous uh, for pedestrians. I know it seems like uh, not much of a risk, but if a cyclist runs into you and you fall over and you whack your head on the ground, uh, it can be pretty bad. True. So it is something we need to keep uh, keep people aware of, um, especially when people are biking contra flow on a sidewalk. So they're going the opposite flow of traffic, um, and they're going fairly fast. Uh, visibility for people on the road too is is impaired, and so some cyclists. Uh, will come up right, really quickly on a car that's turning left, and the car doesn't see them, and then there's a, a collision uh, as a result of that. So bikes on sidewalks is uh, generally something you want to avoid, which is why we need to build good cycling facilities for uh, for folks in the city so that they can be safe uh, on the road and not necessarily be mixing with cars uh, at all. Councillor Helmer, thank you for the thoughts and the information on that. Let's talk about East London now and the McCormick's plant and the latest. What can you tell us? Well, very uh, exciting news. The uh, site remediation is underway. Uh, as folks will remember, McCormick uh, factory, the old uh, candy factory, has been vacant for some time, and there's some environmental cleanup that needs to happen before the redevelopment 
of that site into a mix of uh, different kinds of housing uh, can proceed. So Sierra Construction is the new owner of that site. Um, Council approved a Brownfield grant to help cover some of the costs of remediating uh, the environmental issues. And that work is underway now, which is great. Uh, The next steps will be uh, some controlled demolition of the back part of the property. The old heritage factory is being repurposed into apartments. And um, it's very exciting that the work is finally underway. It's been vacant for quite some time, and the neighbors would really like to see it develop into uh, a new residential neighborhood. Any idea on timeline for a project like this? I know that uh, Sierra has said it's going to be multiple years uh, in terms of building out the different aspects of the project. I think it's somewhere in the neighborhood of 400 new residential units, some in the renovated heritage property, some in a new uh, low-rise, mid-rise apartment building, and then summon some townhouses and single detached housing blends a bit more into the neighborhood. So 400 units, it's going to be over multiple years. It's kind of like three distinct phases. Uh, I think it'd be a bit of a tricky thing to forecast exactly how long it's going to take, but it's going to take some time. Ward 4 Councillor Jesse Helmer with us, but as we just heard, there aren't enough houses really on the market right now as far as real estate goes, so adding more into the mix, that'll be good. What else do you think this project will do for East London? Well, it's it's right at the uh, future site of uh, a bus rapid transit station. There's one plan from McCormick Boulevard, and I think that's uh, it's an important part. You know, We're seeing redevelopment happening around those stations. There's another uh, building that's proposed 480 units. Uh, near this station at Dundas in Ontario. And then if you think further east, you've got the psychiatric hospital lands, which there's something like 3,500 residential units that could go into that uh, subdivision once it gets developed. And I think there's three uh, rapid transit stations serving that future development. So you're seeing a lot of development focusing in around those rapid transit corridors. McCormick is one of those, and I think it's going to uh, help bring a lot more people uh, into the core, provide them with housing options that they that they don't have necessarily in that neighborhood right now. And uh, it's going to be really great for the area in the long run. Councillor Helmer, thank you. Enjoy the bus rapid transit discussion tonight as Councillor Squire says he's going to bring forward a motion to uh, delay some things. So should be interesting. I look forward to it. Thanks for having me on, Mike. <laughs> Take care. Ward 4 Councillor Jesse Helmer. And that is coming up tonight. The idea that Western has not made a decision on their role in bus rapid transit. And until that happens, you've basically got a great big loose end that you need to tie up. You need to figure out, because if they say one thing, okay, then you can do this. If they say another thing, whoa, then you can't. You have to do something different. So right now the board of directors has not stated anything. Now, Mayor Matt Brown countered with, well, this is going to be a project that goes over multiple councils, over multiple provincial and federal governments. So maybe it's it's something that you just have to move forward with, and those loose ends will be tied when they are tied. We'll see what happens. We will certainly continue to follow it for you. Thanks so much to Andrew Graham this afternoon. Thank you so much to Devin Peacock. Up next, we have Jacqueline LaBelle, we have Matt Trevithick, and we have the 3 o'clock news. This is Global News Radio, 980 CFPL.